0: Before we get started, I just want to do one more thing on truth and relativism and objective truth and all that stuff. <clears throat> it's actually, I was going to skip it because I'm like, you know what, you rarely run into this. But I just got a phone call. So there was a guy, my vocation story is online, and people from all over, literally all over the world, have been like randomly emailing me, asking for spiritual direction or just to talk. Some are really crazy, like crazy, crazy, like you can't imagine people actually have these kinds of lifestyles. And some uh, are just normal people that are dealing with a, a, a specific thing. So the guy that called me today, um, he was—he he was a good man. You know, we had set up this. It took us a while to set up a time. Finally got the time, and he said, "Father, you know, he's like I'm. I love my faith. I want to help out. I want to." start teaching ccd i mean the guy he was catholic he knew his scripture he knew his tradition he knew the faith he was catechized well but he was in a situation in which he's like i don't think that i should be teaching ccd and i'm like well what's going on he's like well i don't believe in what the church teaches about premarital sex and i'm like okay well that's significant (laughs) you know so so we started talking learn that this guy's like 45 years old And his girlfriend is 48, right? And he said, he said, listen, the point is, is that procreation is pretty much out of the picture. So what's the big deal if I'm, you know, know," he's like, normally, he's like, you got to understand, father, I am against premarital sex. Like, I would not want my daughter or my son engaging in premarital sex. However, given the situation that I'm in, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I'm going to eventually marry her. We've already talked about it. There was a lot of, there was, you know, a lot of crazy things happening the, in the past year where he just didn't feel right it would be right to uh, propose to her. So he said, so given the situation, I think it's okay. This is something that we call circumstantial truth or situational truth. So people, again, now if, if you boil this, the only reason I wasn't going to cover this because if you boil it down, what is it in the end? It's relativism right because I you know I said to him I said so so like if, if as me as a priest right you know like if I or one of my I actually said I said one of my students so one of my students is a straight-A student 4.0 right in high school they're getting they got a 36 on their ACT they're getting a full ride scholarship to Notre Dame whatever and they're going to Notre Dame and so long as they maintain that 4.0 and that you know that 36 they maintain the 4.0 well, he was supposed to take a test, okay? and all of a sudden his grandpa died of a massive heart attack. He had to fly, you know, drive with his family out to Minneapolis, go to the, you know, everything, go to the funeral, all this stuff, he comes flying home on test day because he's a little too proud to say, hey, I need more time. He decides to take the test, but he cheats just so he can maintain his 4.0. Now this guy doesn't need to cheat. He has a 4-0. Oh, he's got a 36 on his ACT. He's a really smart dude. He just needs a little time to study. But what he has done, is it wrong? Yes. Yeah, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord, gotta start over? <laughs> Yeah, it's wrong. Right? Because given the situation, yeah, does it suck? Yeah. I mean, is it terrible and it could be different? Yes. But you still can't do something wrong just based on circumstantial stuff, right? So it's what we call, it's it's three sources, it's very simple, right? We just call it the object, the intention, and the circumstances. This is what Catholic Christian morality looks like. It's very simple. And this is why, because if you look at just straight up objective truth, okay. Objective truth, if, if, without any sort of subjective like intention or anything, it's just like hard as nails. But if you just look at the intention, well, then everything's relative. And the circumstances, if they can change the morality of the act, then these two really don't matter. So what the Catholic teaching on morality does is it takes part of each. But it does it in a hierarchy, right? So when you look at an act, if the object, and the object is what? The object is what you are doing, okay, what you're doing. The intention is what you want to come of the action, what what you desire to happen based on that action. And the circumstances are everything surrounding the act, okay. Now the way the church has this set up is hierarchically. So if number one is wrong, does it matter about number two or number three? No. No. If number one is right, but number two is wrong, is the action wrong? Yes. Yes. If number one is right, number two is right, and number three is wrong, the action can still be good. If number number one is wrong, it doesn't matter about the circumstances. So if you look at it, so a a simple... you know, uh, example of this. Object, right? Uh, an abortion. That w- The object is what you're doing. What are you doing in an abortion? Kill. Killing a child, okay? Is it wrong? Yes. Does it matter what your intention is? No. no. I don't care how strongly you feel about it. I don't care what you think is going to come of it. I don't care. This doesn't matter anymore once the object is nullified. Okay? You could have another one, like an object of helping an old lady. the old lady's stuck and she, she can't quite get out. you ever seen that YouTube video where this like, lady's walking ridiculously slow and this guy is just waiting and all of a sudden he's like, bam, like that, and she like jumps and she takes her bag and she's like, bam, on top of the car. <laughs> so just chill out for the old people. So let's say this is old lady and she can't get across. She's got too many things. And you go up and you're like, hey, I'm going to help the lady. So what's your object? Oh, you. Helping the old lady. What's your intention? Well, that's something we have to think about, right? So maybe there's a girl that you've always, like, really wanted to, you know, hook up with. And she's standing on the other side waiting for the bus. And you're like, hey, if I help the old lady, maybe she'll see it and like me. So now is your intention corrupted? Yes, yeah, right? Because you're doing, you're doing the object for the wrong reason. So it ruins the act. So you see how they, there's a balance in Catholic morality of objective, subjective, and circumstantial situational truth. Okay? Now, if you want, I'm not going to go into it here. If anybody wants to talk about the principle of double effect, you can feel free to come and talk to me at the break or after class. Double effect is like if you have two evils, right, what do you do? You have, you have a choice and you have... You have a good outcome and a bad outcome, but, or sorry, a bad outcome and a bad outcome, but what do you do when you have two evils and you gotta make a choice between them? Like you don't, you have to make a choice, right? That's the principle of double effect. There's a lot that goes into it. Just stick with this. If you have a question, if the morality of the act is right or wrong, ask me. Just text me and say, hey, I'm getting ready to fire a nuclear weapon. Is this okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's really interesting too, because I just, uh, I have a couple past students that are in the Air Force. Maybe I told you this. But in the Air Force, before you go on to like fly the, the big stuff, F-15s, F-16s, bombers, all the big planes that cause mass destruction, they ask you a question. One of the guys told me this. He said they asked you this question on the exam. It says, if you were asked to carry out an order that you didn't morally agree with, would you execute the order? And nobody knows this for sure, but supposedly, based on that question, you either go on or you don't. Because they need to know that even in the place of you saying this isn't right, that you will still do it. That's what obedience in the military looks like. Okay? Obedience in the church. Doesn't look like, that, right? We don't ask you to do stuff against morality or against objective truth, against your conscience. We don't ask you that. But we expect obedience. Okay. Just to give you an example, so like, this is, and this is it. my my grandpa. Okay, my grandpa was in the in the. I'm like bleeding all over myself. I had a paper cut and I just won't quit bleeding. I went deep. Paper cut <laughs> deep. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, my grandpa was in the, in the military during World War II, and he took, he used, to, he used to fly in, I don't remember what it was, they called it the Devil Dog, they had their own names for their planes, his was called the Devil Dog, my grandpa was a saint, there's no doubt in my mind he was a saint, again at the break I can tell you more about that if you want to know, but anyway, he promised if he made it home from the war, Every time he, he was a gunner, he was a tail gunner in a plane, and every time he was at the, at, the, at, the, at the gun, he had a rosary wrapped around each hand, and he would just pray the entire time. His pilot, his pilot was an atheist, and a crazy atheist. I don't mean like crazy, you know, like, oh, he's you know, throwing atheism on everybody, but he was psychotic. And my grandpa said, really, probably the only reason that we lived through a couple of our battles is because he was so crazy. Like, I mean, they, they, they were leaking fuel. They had been shot. They were leaking fuel. And they were, and like, they're like, we got to go back. And he's like, no. And he, like, turns back. You know, he's like, kill them all. <laughs> you know, like, this guy was crazy. Well, anyway, he said they had this one, this one objective. They were to go and bomb and sink a Japanese destroyer. Okay. That was their, their orders. So they went out, they were flying out in this big fleet or whatever, and this big, all this stuff goes on. They end up sinking the destroyer, right? So it's sinking and Japanese people are jumping off and swimming out into the ocean, okay? So all the planes then, after they've won this battle, they all turn back and they're heading back to their base or whatever. So as they're heading back, he like pulls up on the throttle and lets all the other planes go by. You know, kind of like on the highway when you let cars go by, right? And as soon as all the planes go by, he throws up the throttle and he he cuts, he he banks left and goes back. And they're like, what are you doing? And here what had happened was his brother had been in a Japanese prison camp and was killed by the Japanese after he was tortured. And so he said, we're going to go back and I'm going to fly over this as many times as it takes and you guys will just spray the entire ocean until every one of those bastards is dead. So, <clears throat> my grandpa's like, I'm not doing that. And he's like, you are on. You know, the, the, the pilot apparently was the highest ranking officer, and he's like, you will listen to what I say. You will carry out this order. He's like, I am not shooting those people. They're going to die anyway. This is murder. And the guy's like, either you shoot them or you will be court-martialed. And he's like, then you can court-martial me. And he just sat there. And, and nothing ever happened, but he said, he said they just went back and forth and just, said it was just blood Everywhere. Okay. That's the kind of stuff, right? Like, his object was first of all to kill. right? His intention, he may have thought was really good to get back from my brother, but he just can't do that. In fact, I think it was probably more merciful killing him with guns because they're probably going to get eaten by sharks or drown. Right? Anyway, I just want to cover that really quickly so you have a clear understanding about how the church views this stuff as well. But I, I, I want to establish that yes, there is objective truth, yes, your intention matters. It matters. But you can never, ever, ever do evil to bring about good. Okay? That is, you should probably write that down. That is the number one principle in Catholic morality. You cannot do evil to bring about good. Alright, so, moving on. As I said, so, Objective truth is the most important thing, but in order to find out objective truth We have to know the source of objective truth We have to know who's telling us about objective truth or if like it's somewhere out there that we just have to discover it on our own Okay, and I want to submit to you. I want to you know again. I can't force your hand You got to make your own decisions, but I want to submit to you that Jesus Christ the reason Why I gave my life to him the reason why Christianity is one of the biggest religions in the world, is because Jesus Christ claimed to tell us objective truth. He claimed to say, I speak on God's behalf, because I am God. And I am going to tell you how to live. I am going to tell you the truth about your life. It's objective. It's objective. It doesn't matter what you think. You may hate what I say. In fact, they hated it so much, they killed him. So it's like, every, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, people just hate Christianity, and they're always coming down on it. I'm like, yeah, like, they killed our founder. You know what I mean? <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised. In fact, if the church wasn't persecuted, if it wasn't, like, mocked and hated, I would think something's wrong. You know? Winston Churchill said, never trust a man with no enemies, because he stands for nothing. I think that's a hell of a quote. Never trust a man with no enemies. He stands for nothing. Why does the church have so many enemies? Because she stands for objective truth. And every other religion has caved to the world. The only one that has stood by her teachings and has not changed them, regardless of the changing of the times, regardless of you know, societal influence and media and cultural, is the Catholic church. It's the only one that has not changed. Okay? Now, you could argue Islam, too. But that's a whole other thing. By the way, just on a little soapbox, you saw the whole thing that just happened. You know, the fort was a forty-one. No, those are the beheaded ones. Yeah, they just burned forty more people. And again, uh, to my knowledge, I think they're all Christian. You know, like I, I would, I would love. Actually, I wouldn't. It'd be terrible. But I would love to see what everybody in the world would be doing right now if Christians were doing this. Yeah, they'd be freaking out, you damn right they would. But somehow, because it's Islam, and we gotta be like all welcoming, I'm telling you, man, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous religion. You always look, never forget this, you always look to the founder of a religion. Okay? What do we know about the founder of Islam? This is historical. Do you know anything about the founder of Islam? You know his name? Ishmael. Wow, Ishmael, that's not fair. Nicely done, though. <laughs> okay. They go back to Ishmael, right, for the promise. But who is the one that basically founded Islam? Muhammad. Muhammad, okay. What do you know about Muhammad? Huh? Prophet. prophet? Well, he claimed to be a prophet. <clears throat> Speak up. point Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about, like, I just I want to look more like... And his personal character. What do you know about his personal character? What do we know about it from history? It shouldn't be that hard. Do you not know anything about Islam? Really? Okay, Muhammad was violent. Extremely violent. Okay? That's the first thing. That's how they con. You guys, I mean, the conquest of the Islamic empire was so fast, and it's because it was through mass destruction. They just said, are you, gonna be is- are you gonna be Muslim? No, well then you die. Everybody acts like this stuff that's going on in the Middle East is like, oh, Islam is like taking a turn for the worst. And I'm like, no, this is how they are. And I don't care how many people say that they're a peaceful religion yes are there people that are muslims that are peaceful absolutely are there good muslims absolutely but in its foundations when i was in um i went to turkey and in turkey they have a note from muhammad it's signed by muhammad and it's written to these people in northern egypt and it says to them it says you know you know we're so happy that you're welcoming the the islamic faith and We really hope that, you know, you'll you'll accept it. And just remember, if you don't, we are Muslims. And Muslim, I think in Arabic, means obedient. Which means, what they're saying is, and just in case you don't, we're going to kill you. He was a violent, violent man. Something else that very few people know about Muhammad, he was a pedophile. He had a... Ridiculous number of wives. And his favorite one, when he first was kind of with her, she was nine years old. And you got, you know, like you can say you're bashing Islam, whatever. Go look it up. Go look it up. He had a nine-year-old wife. And it was, it says it, Muhammad wrote, and she was my favorite. Okay? And that's just two things. I'm not gonna go into depth. Let's look at another founder. Let's look at Jesus Christ. What do we know about him? <laughs> he claimed to be God, just as Muhammad claimed to be a prophet. He, did miracles. he worked miracles. He was a teacher. He was, teacher. Hmm? He was peaceful. Peaceful. Did he kill? No. Was he killed? Yeah. Yes. Remember, I met a Muslim, you know, they believe in Jesus, they say Jesus was a prophet. And I said to him, I said, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? He said, you know, Jesus is my favorite prophet. And I'm like, why is that? And he's like, well, because he died for what he believed in. (laughs) You know? So who is Jesus Christ? That's the question we have to ask. We need to know who he is. Did he exist? Do we have historical proof that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was a real person? Or would you say, well, yeah, Father, we have the Bible. The Bible is not a historical book. Do we have hard physical proof that Jesus the Nazarene, the miracle worker, was a real person? I'm asking you a question. Yes, yes. Yeah. We do. Where? The shroud of turn, the shroud of turn could be argued. However... There's a lot of skeptics on the Shroud of Turin. By the way, we'll get into the Shroud, I'm out What else? It's probably documented somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it is documented somewhere. We've got two very clear documentation, these sources. The first is Josephus, okay? Josephus was uh, around the year 90 to 120. He was a Jewish historian and he wrote this. Okay, he was talking about uh, yeah, so he says, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man. Indeed, one, if one could even call him a man. He was one who performed surprising deeds, was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. He was the Messiah. And when upon the accusation of the principal man among us, Pontius Pilate, had him condemned to a cross. Those who had first come to love him did not cease to love him. He appeared to them spending a the third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians so called after him has still to this day not disappeared. Now, there is argument over the authenticity of this document. I'm not going to hide anything from you. They say it's a bit, this was a Jew, he wasn't a Christian. So it's a bit too Christian sounding, right? But they do agree that Josephus probably did say Jesus was a real person who was executed and claimed to rise on the third day. The reason they say that is because his contemporary, Tacitus, wrote this in regards to Nero. Consequently, to get rid of the report, because Nero burned the city, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. This is great. This guy must have hated Rome. He said, even in Rome where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. (laughs) Rome was a wicked place, you guys. We don't, again, like, we look at America right now, and we're like, oh, the moral depravity. Oh, we're in such a terrible state of moral affairs, and we are. But we are nowhere near what Rome or, like, Athens in the ancient world was. It was wicked, wicked stuff, wicked stuff, okay? So this is our, these are just historical figures writing about the historicity of Jesus Christ, okay? So what do we know about him from the Bible, right? We know his birth. Now you'd say, well, no, I thought you said the Bible was an historical birth. Well, here's the deal. Was Jesus a big deal when he was born? No, nobody even knew who the hell he was. He was born in a barn, right? And according to what we can ascertain from what Luke and Matthew tell us about who is in power, as far as the king within Judea and the Roman uh, emperor, we can ascertain that he was born around three or four BC. Okay, <clears throat> says during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now, what's really important? I want you—you know—I want to do a little biblical stuff, right? <clears throat> now, some people could probably argue this. I think—I mean—you could probably argue it you'd have to agree that augustus caesar was probably the most powerful man to ever live okay why? why because of the size of the roman empire he controlled the modern world right now you could make the argument about the persians right like xerxes you know in the movie 300 Alexander the Great, sure. I mean, there's, there's people that would match this. The point is, these, like, these guys, they, they ruled over so much, and their armies were so extensive, okay? Then you can sit back and you can say, well, well, I guess President Obama would be the most powerful man ever to exist based on nuclear weapons. And sure, yeah, nuclear weapons kind of defeat the whole purpose of the argument, right? I mean, but I'm talking a sheer military size. Caesar Augustus was one of the top five. Okay? I like to say he's the top one, period, simply because of this. If he's reigning, and he is the most powerful man to have ever have lived, theoretically, then right when the most powerful man to ever live is in power, Jesus is born. Why is that neat? Why is that important? Because how does Caesar Augustus rule? With an iron. Yeah, with an iron fist, right? He kills, he dominates, he manipulates, He murders. He works politically. That's how the world all the world rulers all rule the same. At this time, though, Jesus is born, and Jesus is a king. He's acknowledged as a king. Although he's mocked, he's acknowledged as a king. And again, why is this important? Because if you put Augustus versus Jesus Christ, they are polar opposites. So at the very time we have this ruler who is like amazingly powerful and is ruling the entire world, God says no. No no, 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 this isn't right. And the true ruler of the world is coming in to the world right now. So that's the first way, it's kind of this juxtaposition between worldly power versus the spiritual power. And here's the thing, you guys. What's kind of cool about this whole thing is where is Rome? No, I mean where is it now? Where is the Roman Empire? It's gone. In fact, if you go to Rome, you would be amazed that those people could ever have governed anybody other than themselves. They're the most worthless. I mean, I love them. I love them dearly. But they're idiots. Like, the Italians are idiots. Okay. I got to tell you a quick story about <laughs> So when I was in Rome, sorry, just a little sidetrack. That keeps you interested little breaks, and then we go back to learning. So I was in Rome. My job, I was the, the prefect of the wood shop. We had a wood shop in the seminary. And guys were like, at first we just built little things. And then guys were like, we want to build lofts and couches and dressers and drink cabinets and (laughs) all types of stuff. So he said, they're like, you go and take care of it. I'm like, all right. I'm a second year theologian. I barely know Italian. I go down to this guy and I'm like, hey, man, I found the wood shop. That took a couple days because, you know, (laughs) they don't have a Menards uh, in Italy. You have to find the place where they sell wood. That's it. No nails, no paint. <laughs> they just sell pieces of wood. And so I went into this place, and I'm like, okay. He opened it up early because I told him I said we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna have a pretty big, pretty big order. He's like, okay. So he comes out, he opens it early. He's like, you know, I had to, I had to cut my lunch short for, you know, and it, cutting his lunch short was from like three hours to two hours, you know. They take these ridiculously long lunches. I'm like, I'm sorry, didn't mean to ruin your day. So he comes walking in, he's like, all right, what do you want? So I'm like, well, I'm looking, I'm looking at these big plywood sheets, like literally like the size of this board, right? And he's like, he's like, all right. He's like, well, I got to measure it, you know, to find out how much it is. And I'm like, well, measure it. So he pulls it out and he's like, measure it. He's like, okay, it's 20 euro. I was like, good, I'll take all of them. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I'll take all of them. He's like, I can't do that. I'm like, why not? And he's like, well, what if other people want to buy wood? And I'm like this is what we call business in america <laughs> like you want to move product as fast as you can to make more money he's like no they were like five of he's like I can, I can give you three and i'm like all right man i'll take three so he pulls them out we put them on the floor and he's like okay and he's like so he's like let's see that's you know that's 50 euro he's like good uh, you know do you want to pay right now and i'm like i'm not done And he's like what do you mean you're not done? how much more wood do you need and I'm like, dude, just shut up. Look. So this is all in Italian, like my broken Italian. So I go to the next one over, which is the same board, only it's stained. You know, so it's like a darker color than the other one. And I was like, How, what about these? He's like, I just gave you three of those. I'm like, I know, but these are different. And he's like, frick, were are you building a house? <laughs> and I'm like, just give me the wood, you know? So he's like, well, I got to measure it. I'm like, they're the same size. And he's like, I got to measure it. Pulls it out, and he's like, yeah, same size, 20-year-old. I was like, I'll take them all. He's like, you can't have them all. Let me guess. I can have three. You can have three. Put them down. And we just went around and around. And like this guy was so frazzled by the end. Like he, I thought he was going to like just quit his job. Like I don't think this had ever happened to him in his entire life. we he going had somebody buy them more than like two pieces of wood. And I was like, okay, I was like, I think that's it. And he's like, yeah. like, this is like the hardest this guy's work in 10 years, guaranteed. And I was like, okay, I said, now, one of the things is, these are a little bit too long, so I need them cut. And he's like, today? I'm like, yeah, today. Like, I, I got a truck. I want to take all this stuff home today. I'm not kidding you. This, and the, there's another Italian, and he's sitting, and the entire time we've been there, he's smoking cigarettes. He's sitting by the table saw, smoking cigarettes. And he's like, he's like, hey, Giovanni. Yeah, like, lean sorry. He's like, you know, can you cut this wood today? And he's like. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, he's not doing anything. Like, he hasn't done anything yet. And he's like, I'm sorry. We can't, we can't, we can't do it. It's gonna be at least a week. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of country these people live in. Like, you can't go to a store. One time I broke a shoelace. It, you get a shoelace in Italy. You had to go to the shoelace shop. There's a shop for shoelaces. I went one time to get a belt. I bought the belt. They didn't sell buckles. You had to go to another shop to get the buckle, and then a third shop to get it put together. I mean, now they're getting better, than, you know, with globalization and first world influence. But my gosh, you wonder how they ruled the world. You really do. So, Caesar Augustus, right? Now, we can guess 3 to 4 B.C. We have almost an exact date of his death. Okay? How do we figure this out? We know through the scriptures that Jesus died on the Friday before the Passover. Okay? The scriptures tell us he died the Friday before the Passover. Okay? We also know that he died under Pontius Pilate. Now you can sit back and you say, Father, but why are you saying, you're saying we just couldn't believe the Bible, but now we can believe the Bible? The only reason I say we can believe the Bible is because historians are lining up with what the Bible says. And here's the other kicker. Okay? Here's the other kicker. If your God, the one that you ascribe to be God, was put to death in the most ridiculous, humiliating, and brutal, torturous way that could ever be thought of in the Roman Empire, would you include that story in the annals of history about your founder? Like No, like, nobody ever includes their greatest defeats. I remember, you know the story of ex- the Exodus, right? When, when Pharaoh's going after the Egyptians, or the Egyptians are going after the Israelites as they're leaving, and then Moses splits the sea in two, remember that story? Just shake heads. I just need to know you're with me, okay? So, as they're going, I was down in Egypt, and I was reading, they have a tablet, okay? They have a tablet of Egyptian history. Guess what? It says that Pharaoh went after the Israelites and slaughtered them in the desert and came home after a victory in his war. Well, the problem with that history is what? The Israelites are still alive, (laughs) and they're flourishing. But for Pharaoh, whatever Pharaoh said was true, and nobody changed anything. I don't know any single founder where they, like, not only do they include the terrible humiliation and failure of the founder, but they also say that's the best part. His crucifixion was the best part. Scripture scholars say the, 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 the crucifixion narratives are, the whole rest of the gospel is an introduction to the crucifixion narrative. It's the longest, single, most condensed body of knowledge of Jesus that we have in one specific spot. Is the crucifixion. okay? So could we, can we trust that if historians are backing that up? Yeah, I think that's fair to trust. Okay? So we know it was during Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate ruled in Jerusalem from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. We know this for a fact because the, the Romans kept crazy records. <clears throat> okay? Crazy good records. And from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36, Passover only fell on Saturday three times. According to the old calendar. A.D. 27, A.D. 30, and A.D. 33. Every third year it happened. Okay. Now, if, this is an if, if Jesus is in fact 33 years old when he dies, okay, and he's born here, 27 is too early, 33 is too late, AD 30 would have been the year of his death. And we know that according to the calendars, when you do the transfer and the switch, that it would have been Friday, April 7th, A.D. 30, at 3 p.m. That's pretty cool. I'm Now, <clears throat> to go back, just another little backup besides our historians. You all know what the shot of turn is? Give me a nod of the head, or you can shake it, no, Father, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Okay. Enough of you don't know. The Shroud of Turin is traditionally held to be the burial cloth that Jesus was buried in. Okay? Again, you can look this stuff up. I'm not making these things up. The Shroud of Turin is the single most scientifically studied artifact ever in the world. That's pretty important. People are really, really freaking interested in this thing. It is extremely old. It is on display in Turin, Italy. That's why they call it the Shroud of Turin. Torino, Italy is where it resides. If you're lucky, you will see it. They keep it covered until every 10 years they open it up so people can see it. Apparently, Pope Francis just said it's going to be opened up again in April of this year. So uh, you'll be able to see it again then. The Shroud of Turin... Is a is a very ancient cloth. On it, if you look on it, there's like a, again, I'm a terrible. So pretend this whole thing is a piece of cloth. Okay, this piece right here, the thing that I'm moving is a piece of cloth. Okay, on this piece of cloth is a fold right down the middle. Okay, and on this side, <clears throat> this is gonna be terrible. I'm sorry, Jesus. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> okay. There's, yeah that's really bad if you want to go and look at it you can go look at it online okay but that's it's this image of a, of a man and this side is the face and then this side is the back so he was laying like this with the thing folded over the top of him okay now, there's some really, 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 really interesting things about this. In fact, I've heard this, I cannot back it up, but I heard that it has a 100% conversion rate. That means that anybody that studies the Shroud of Turin turns Christian. 100% of the people that study it turn Christian. Now, a few things you need to know about the Shroud, because it's really, really cool, I think. We're spending just a little bit of time. <clears throat> the image on the Shroud of Turin. Okay? And I might pull it up at the break just so you guys can see a picture of it. The image on the shroud of turn is a photo negative. Okay? You ever take, this This might be, maybe this is aging me here a little bit. You remember when cameras had film? You know, like the roll thing? You know, you'd take it out and you'd look at the black and white. It was a negative. That's what happened on this, on this shroud, on this piece of cloth. Now, here's the crazy part of that. When they studied it, they said, surely this is a painting, okay? Surely this is a painting. But when they studied it, they looked at the levels when they went real, you know, like microscopic levels of, of the microscope. <laughs> when, they, when they looked at it, they found the layers of cloth that the image is only on the top layer. Now, this is a problem because if it's ink or if it's paint or if it's any kind of painting, what's going to happen to the liquid? It'll soak through all the way, but it didn't. <clears throat> now, what else is very interesting about it, because it's a photo negative, a, a photo negative, a, the, another way you can get a, like, kind of a picture of a photo negative is like, if, let's say it's Nagasaki or Hiroshima, right? And this is a solid steel wall. You remember? And they actually have this where like people are playing catch, right? And all of a sudden, the bomb goes off and guess what happens? I disintegrate. <laughs> but what's behind me? An image a photo negative is behind me nuclear energy caught can cause a photo negative okay now the other thing that's really cool about this this dude looks like Jesus <laughs> like everything that we think Jesus looks like this guy looks like Jesus he has he has scars on the front of his body on his legs he has holes in his wrists he has pierce marks around his head. He has long hair. He's about six feet tall, which explains a lot in the scriptures why he got away with so many things. Because during that time in Jude- in, in little Israel, how big were people? They were tiny little people. Jesus is six foot. He's a bad dude. <clears throat> he'd, have been a, he'd have been a powerful presence, right? On his back, he's got, cr- he's just got lashes all over his back and on the inside of his legs. Now, this is where it gets really cool, <clears throat> okay? They asked a NASA physicist to study the image. The NASA physicist looked at it, did all of his tests, all these things on it, came back and they said, what is this? What, can you give us, how did the image come, come about? All this stuff, he said, here's the deal. I don't know who this is, because he can't say Jesus because that wouldn't be politically correct. He says, I don't know who this is. But whatever happened was, is whoever was laying in this burial cloth, he said, from the photo negative, the hair is actually falling. Which means that when this image happened, the body was straight up and down. It was not laying flat, it was straight up and down. Okay? He said, whatever happened, the body was vertical, and to the best of my knowledge, from nuclear physicist science and stuff, this thing, this person, turned into pure energy, left the imprint on, burned it onto the onto the burial cloth, and disappeared. <clears throat> so they say. So I mean you can sit back and you'd be like, well, come on. You know, like. But this is real stuff. Like this is, this is a real artifact that we have. And here's the crazy part. It was in, the reason why it, has, it, re, it comes up against so much controversy is they did carbon dating on it, and the carbon dating only took it back to the 12th century. And everybody's like, ha! <laughs> Can't be Jesus. We told you. Well, here what had happened was the shroud was actually, when they did, deeper, when they did further tests, it was in a fire. And this is why, if you look at this, is, this is insane, OK? It was folded up, folded whatever into a little square, and then placed in this solid silver box. Right? The Christians were reverencing it, were honoring it as the true burial cloth of Christ. The monastery (laughs) caught on fire, or wherever it was, the church, I don't know what it was. The box got so hot that the silver melted. Okay? And the drips of silver dripped onto the shroud. Okay? Well, silver that hot, it ain't stopping when it hits cloth right? It burned right through. If you look, when they opened it up, there's a hole here, 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 and the same on the other side. It burned every spot possible around the image, but didn't touch the image. <clears throat> they've, done, they've done dirt samples, dust samples, mineral samples from the shroud. Every one of them matches up to Jerusalem the same minerals, the same dirt, the same dust is all in Jerusalem. Look into it. It's a lot of fun. It's a a hell of a thing to read about. And, in it, on it, they noticed, they didn't, for the longest time, they didn't see this because it was so faint. But I think it was like, it's in one of the corners, right, down here. Really faint, faint writing. And that faint writing said this. It said, in 2009, Vatican scholar Barbara Frail discovered that there was imprinted on the Shroud of Turin writing in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin and it said this, in the year 16 of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, Jesus the Nazarene taken down in the early evening after having been condemned to death by the Roman judge because he was found guilty by Hebrew authority, is hereby sent for burial with the obligation of being consigned to his family after one full year. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, you can't you can't sit back and say, "Well, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's the shroud, that's the burial cloth of Jesus." But look into it. It's just another sort of valid historicity, right? Validates our historicity about the truth of Jesus Christ. So he is a real person, okay? And this person is the center of our faith. Right? I remember I was walking with a friend of mine, and he said, "You know what? Most people don't get our religion." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Well, what's at the center of our faith? Like, what's the most important thing in our faith?" Right? If I asked you, what would you say? If you say like Catholicism, you say, "What is the most important thing in the Catholic faith?" Hmm? Love. Love. The Eucharist. The Eucharist. Jesus, good, that's the the answer. Yes, the Eucharist is important. Yes, love is. But those are things that Jesus gave us. The most important thing at the center of our faith is is a person. And this is what's so insane. No other religion in the world is like this. You know, in all the other religions of the world, like Buddhism, and and again, I'm not bashing these. I've met a lot of good Buddhists. I've met some pretty good Taoists. I've, I've, met, I've even met some pretty decent atheists. I'm just saying we want to find the truth. Because of, a lot of non-contradiction, not everybody can be right. But in every other religion, that's a mountain, okay? In every other religion, humans go to meet God. All right? The eightfold path of Buddha is to get to Enlightenment to get up to God, right? In Islam, you follow the teachings of Muhammad so that you can get to Allah. I mean, if you look, I mean, all of these religions, it's all the same thing. In Christianity, God came down the mountain. And it's very, it's, it's, it's a small distinction, but it's huge. It's huge. Because one is all about man trying to get to god and the other one says no 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 god wanted to get to us that's very different you guys and it's very important how we understand god because how you understand god is how your society will function i can promise you that again i go back to islam how does islam see god what who who is or what is allah tyrant yeah well he's not a tyrant but he's master yeah like he's master, and all of the people are slaves. Okay? In Christianity, who is God? God is Father. God is a communion of persons. He's Trinitarian. He is, a, he is persons united and co subsisting in love. Now, if you don't believe that your understanding of God defines your society, look at Muslim marriage. Okay. And look at Christian marriage. What is Muslim marriage? How is it man-woman? Master-slave. Now, again, i got to be careful. <laughs> this is just in public. right? When they go out in public, if you've ever seen it, the man walks in front, the woman's 20 paces behind him, fully garbed, just a little slit. These are true Muslims, Orthodox Muslims. I don't know what their private lights are like. That's that's fine. And they can have an awesome marriage, whatever. I'm just saying how they are... The reason they're doing that is because they're mimicking their belief in God. When we have Christian marriage, what does Christian marriage look like? It's a communion of persons subsisting in love. And are the persons equal? Yeah. Guess what? That's the Trinity. The idea of God influences... entire society and so if you're going up to God you got to work your ass off to please this God. I mean think about it and this is these are old these and this is why I always say these are more man-made religions because where do we first see this man going up the mountain to God Moses Mm -mm. huh no it's, it's way further back don't think of like an actual man like, hey, God, up the mountain, i going to find God. God's on a mountain, people down below. The Greek. Yeah, Greek mythology. Or think about, you know, like, and, and, and here's the thing. In Greek mythology, if you piss these guys off, guess what happens? You die. They want you dead. They want to kill you. Whereas Christ is saying, no, you guys... Your movement, your understanding, your desire for God is good. It's just wrong. And we the reason it's wrong is because of what we call original sin. We can go back and talk about that in a second. That we used to have it right, but we got it wrong. And we keep trying to make ourselves holy instead of realizing that God has already come down because he wants to be with us more than we want to be with him. We have taken the gospel and made it lame. <clears throat> The gospel used to be the most exciting thing in the world. As Peter Crave said, we have taken the water, become wine, and turned it back into water. You guys, the gospel, it should literally, I mean, the reason it's called good news, the reason why people gave their lives for it, had their heads chopped off, torn limb from limb. When they were talking in here, it said that Nero, right, Nero blamed the whole thing on the Christians. You know what he did? You know one of his punishments that Nero gave to the Christians? He would throw parties at night in his imperial palace, and he would cover the Christians in tar, and he would light them on fire and let them light his parties. Diocletian, maybe one of the most wicked, ruthless, crazy, terrible persecutions Christians have ever experienced, one of his... He had one where he would have horses. They would tie a rope to a tree. They would bend the trees down with horses. They would tie it. Then they would take a Christian, and they would tie it to each side of the tree, and they would chop the ropes, and it would frickin' rip them in half. Brutal, brutal deaths. And yet, for some reason, these guys are like lining up saying, I want to be Christian. Like, dude... (laughs) Your head's going to fall off. I know, but I want to be Christian. Why? Because it was such good news. That God wanted to be with us. Not that we just want to be with him and we somehow have to win his love and and, and tiptoe around because he's going to smite us if we do the freaking smallest wrong thing. That God comes crawling on his knees to us. He lets himself be killed by us. Just so we can understand his love. This is insane. It's insane. Judaism is part of our belief, right? Call the Jewish people our our older brothers in the faith. Why are we so connected to the Jews? What? Like Jesus was a Jew? Wrong! Huh? I gonna say That's that's what everybody would say immediately, Jesus was a Jew. That's wrong. We're Jewish to the core. Huh? Christianity is Jewish to the core. Okay. You just said it. Explain it. You just said the answer. why are we so dang connected to Judaism? <clears throat> came from the Jewish people, it's one what? Jesus. Jesus. Jewish plus Jesus. <laughs> Jewish plus Jesus. <laughs> Jewish plus Jesus equals Catholic. <laughs> no, that's not right. <laughs> Why are we so connected to the Jews? Would you say it's because there's it was the foundation and everything was built off of, kind of in a way? Yeah. You can explain that further. A tradition. Yeah. Well, what? Same God. What do you mean? We yeah, have the same God. Explain that, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The right answer is why are we so connected to Jews? Because Jesus claimed to be who? More than that. He claimed to be Yahweh. You guys, like, this is why the gospel is so freaking exciting. And this is why we have dumbed it down so much. Jesus came to the Jewish people and he said listen up <laughs> I know you think I'm like a miracle worker and a good teacher and like all these things I want to tell you who I am I am Yahweh in the flesh You know your God You know the God that that drove you out of Egypt you know the God that created the entire universe? You know the God that brought David to his reign and set him on a throne and said his reign will never end? That's me. Come on, you guys. You don't look quite excited though. No? Do you know realize how crazy this was? This is me. I am Yahweh. I mean, it's just amazing. And you know, like the way he spoke, we were talking about this a little bit last week when he said, you know, like, he, you know, one of the things is so crazy. He says to Peter, they're at Caesarea Philippi, and he says to, to Peter and the apostles, he says, who do people say that I am? Okay. Now this question in itself, would Buddha ever have asked that? No, he would have said, what do people think of my teaching?" Would Muhammad have said, who do people think that I am? No. He would have said, what do they think about Allah and this new monotheistic religion I'm starting? I mean, you look at all these followers. None of them would have said, who do people say that I am? I mean, that's a dumb question. You're, you're a man. You're, you're the, you, you start stuff. You're smart and clever and you work miracles. And really, that's what people thought about him. Right? What does it say? It said, they looked at it and said, well, Peter's like, well, you know, I mean, some people say you're John the Baptist. Wrong. John's head fell off. Or <clears throat> Elijah. Wrong. Elijah was just simply a prophet. And he died. We don't know. I mean, he went off into heaven in a chariot. Or third, or one of, other, uh, one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? You know, I like guys, we got we to think of it. This is what prayer is. Prayer is just simply part of meditation is just putting yourself in these situations and be like, I mean, if I'm sitting with those guys. I'm like, I don't know. Like, who do, who do you say that I am? Jesus? You know, but what does Peter say? <clears throat> you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is saying... Jesus, you are Yahweh in the flesh. And Jesus turns to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So he's saying, Peter, don't go around thinking like you're some smart dude. Because you didn't come up with this on your own. He said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And that's why I will call you Kephas, or the rock. You will be the foundation of my church. That confession that you just made that I am God. That is the rock center of everything that Christians believe. If you don't believe that, there are two things that you must believe in order to be a Christian. Just two things. What are they? Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So you have to believe in the incarnation. Incarnation is when second person of the Trinity assumed human flesh and became man. You have to believe in that to be Christian. What well, is the second thing you have to believe? Really? Resurrection? No. Because once you believe the Incarnation, resurrection is totally possible. God is what? God is what? Huh? Say it. Come on. Say something. Good. Good. <laughs> Good. What is God? Trinity. Trinity. Thank you. You guys realize that Christians are the only ones who believe God is three persons in, in, in one God? Three persons in one God. That somehow there is more to personhood than we know. Okay? And I'll get more into that because that's interesting in itself. I love this stuff, man. Here we go. Okay? We're moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Okay. There are three examples I want to give you of the craziness of Jesus, the Son of God. Okay? These are scripturally based. These are stories, but it's very, 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 very important. Okay, <clears throat> The first is, and we talked about this I think already, is the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Okay? Sermon on the Mount, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And you know, I'd like to just really encourage you guys, you know, when you go home or over the week, and you go and just just peruse your notes, and when you see Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, go read it. Because if I ask you right now, if you could repeat for me what's written in Matthew chapter 5, how many of you could repeat it? How many even know what Matthew chapter 5 is about? You can raise your hand if you know. What is it? What else? That's like 10 verses. <laughs> it's the Sermon on the Mount of course, man. you know what I'm talking about right? no it's, I mean it's, it's the bulk it's the core of his teaching right? chapter 5 is huge 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 mainly because yes the Beatitudes are the first part and that's the Magna Carta of Christian life but more so this is where and this is why the Sermon on the Mount is so important is because in this he says here's the Beatitudes first of all which are crazy Anybody with me on that one? The Beatitudes are psychotic and stupid. They really are. Unless somehow they're possible. Blessed are the poor, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who weep. And you know, blessed, the, it's, uh, oh, what the heck, the Greek word, it doesn't mean blessed, it means happy. Happy. Happy are those who weep. <laughs> happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are persecuted. Happy are those whose lives suck. You know, I mean, that's what he may as well have said, because you've got eternal life. You know, and if there is no eternal life, there's no Jesus. Like, those are the dumbest possible things you could ever say. And then he goes on from there, and he says, this is the the list of when he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, right? You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I tell you, if somebody strikes you on your left cheek, turn your right. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even think about a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. These are like serious, serious things that don't make any sense. They really don't make any sense unless, unless this whole resurrection thing is possible and he can actually communicate divine life to us and eternal life really exists. Then those things make all the sense in the world. Okay, that's the first sermon I'm about. On. second one, <clears throat> Mark 2, 1 to 12. <clears throat> Go read it. Anybody know what Mark 2, 1 to 12 is about? Give me a hint. It's about a healing of a guy who's paralyzed. Anybody else can you tell me anything else about that story? Hmm? Brought him in through the roof. They brought him in through the roof. Anything else? Told him to stay on the lock. Anything else? He forgave, his sins. he forgave his sins. Now here's what's really, really, really interesting. Okay. Now again, put yourself in the situation, right? So Peter, this is Peter's house, because it said Jesus was in Capernaum and he was at a house. The only house he was at in Capernaum ever was Peter's. He stayed with Peter. He lived with Peter. So he's sitting and people are like jamming into Peter's house. Now first of all, if you're Peter, I'm like. Get out of my house. <laughs> you know, this is my freaking house. This is not a marketplace. Get out of my house. They don't get out of his house. They jam in even more. And not only that, these are not like people that you want in your house. They have leprosy. They're demonically possessed. They're crippled. They're maimed. They're psychotic. These are the people that Jesus was bringing to himself. So. I mean, if you're Peter, you've got to be like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, I could be fishing right now, (laughs) but no, I had to go and follow this crazy guy who brings all these freaks into my house, and in the midst of the freak show, his roof caves in. Now, again, put yourself in your own home, you bring home a buddy who's a miracle worker, and all of a sudden, people want to get in your home so badly that they take sledgehammers and come through your roof. And then they lower the guy down, and everybody's like, what's going to happen? And he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Now, again, I put myself as like, it says four guys brought him. So I'm like, you know, I'm up on the roof. I'm like, hey, (laughs) he can't walk. (laughs) You know, like, he says, your sins are forgiven. I'd be like, "That's that's not why we brought him here. We brought him so he can walk. He's our friend. <laughs> but everybody else, that's, that's the guys on the roof. Everybody else in the house must have just been freaking silenced. And the Pharisees say it. They're right. You know, oftentimes we're like, the Pharisees are always wrong. They're right this time. They say, who but God can forgive sins? Who the hell does this guy think he is? And then Jesus says, let me ask you something. Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat, walk, and go home? Why does he say that? Because on the surface, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to tell a crippled man who's been crippled since his birth to get up and walk home? Which is easier to say? It's way easier to say your sins are forgiven. There's no empirical evidence of it. And he says, but that you might know that I have power to forgive sins on earth. He turns to the guy and says, Get up. You want yeah. evidence, you bastards? Get up. I mean, that's insane! You're not looking excited enough again. This is supposed to be like the most exciting class that I teach. <laughs> He's ratifying the miracle. Third one John's Gospel. I, you know what? I don't think I wrote down. I think John. Damn the Bible. Yeah, you <clears throat> this, you guys, by the way, I think is my favorite miracle story in the entire Bible. And the reason my favorite entire Bible uh, miracle story is because nobody understands it. Cleansing of the temple. Nicodemus. Heals on the Sabbath. five thousand. Brighter from heaven. Ridden. Unbelief. Jesus wheeves. Pharisees. Here we go. 8. Chapter 8. 9. I said 9. Chapter 9. <clears throat> Jesus heals the blind man. <clears throat> this is intense stuff, man. We'll take a break right after this. Just see. I want to keep you in the zone. Does anybody remember this story? You just, made something wise? Wise? just hold on. <laughs> does anybody remember this story? How does it start out? Just read the very beginning of chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day. Night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, that in itself is ridiculous. (laughs) Keep going. Okay. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam." So he went and washed and came back seeing. Good. Now, if you didn't think Jesus was crazy before, first of all, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. (laughs) Okay, that's weird. I mean, and again, if you're the apostles, I mean, I, I suppose at one point you just get used to these crazy sayings. You know, like, oh, well, he just called himself a vine. <laughs> What's new? You know, <laughs> he's a door now. Today he's a door. Tomorrow he's a sheep and shepherd and whatever. You know, I mean, he had so many men, lights. And... So <clears> he <throat> says, I'm the light of the world. He bends down to this blind man who did not really even ask to be cured, right? He spits, my favorite part. He spits hocks a loogie on the ground, takes the dust, rolls it into a paste, and is mashing paste, takes it, and smears it on the guy's face. <clears throat> now, again, <laughs> he spit on the ground, made dirt or mud, and then smashed it on somebody's face. You know, I mean, anywhere else you'd do this. If I did that to any one of you, you'd beat me up. But Jesus somehow can get away with this. Then he goes, presumably uh, with help, because he couldn't see at the time, uh, to the pool of Siloam. And he washes his face, and he comes back seen. Now this in itself is amazing. But here's the catch. John goes on for approximately... 40, I uh, know. 30, yeah. I'd say 30, 41 verses. 41 verses about this cure. And about how the Pharisees want Jesus dead. And about Jesus is fighting with the Pharisees. The crowds are out of control in Jerusalem. The blind man's like, I don't know what happened. I just see. Okay? <laughs> he made spit and mud. He put it on my face. And I see. And they say, What do you think about him then? And he says, I, I think he's probably a prophet. Because this is pretty amazing. And then they brought the boy's parents' parents in. They said, Is this your boy? And they said, That's our boy. And they're like, how does he see? And they're like, We don't know. We just know he was dead. <laughs> we just know he was blind, and now he sees. And then they say to him, they say, How dare you? You were a sinner since your birth. You were born blind. You were born in sin. We've never been in sin. How dare you tell us who he is? And there's just this like crazy ruckus about this healing of the blind man. Does this happen in any other healing of a blind man? No, no, it doesn't. <clears throat> Most times like people are like, hey, I'm blind. Hey, see, boom, seeing. One guy's like, I can't see. And he kind of like lays his hands on him. He's like, what do you see? He's like, I see things like moving. They look like trees. And he's like, look again. He's like, I, I see. <laughs> Every miracle of Jesus has significance. That's why they're in the Bible. There's not one word in the Bible that does not have significance. So what is the big deal about this guy? So I, <clears throat> I did some research. <clears throat> There's a word, and it's in Greek, and it's anablepo. And you don't need to know this. You can, If you want to write it down, go ahead. But, anablepo has kind of mysterious translation equivalents. Could mean from birth. It could mean that the guy never saw ever. And it could mean that he was born without eyes. Like it was actually a birth defect. John Chrysostom, 4th century, father of the church. Chrysostome means the golden tongue. He was one of the greatest preachers to ever exist. Tradition holds in the church. Holds uh, this opinion that he was was actually born without eyes. Uh, Saint Irenaeus, another father of the church, holds this. And Saint Basil the Great, another father of the church, also holds that the reason why there was such a ruckus is because the man... Didn't have eyeballs. And so what happened. And this is why the Pharisees. Are ragingly pissed off. Because in all the other healings. It's a healing of restoration. Right? The eyes have gone dim. They've gone blind. Jesus the miracle worker. Restores the sight. That was once taken from the person. But in this one he didn't just make paste and smear it on his hands and smear it on the guy's face he made paste he made clay which should draw you back to what? Genesis the creation and God in the flesh took the clay made little balls and jammed them into his eye sockets and said go wash and when he came back it was not a miracle of restoration it was a miracle of recreation And that, that's serious. (laughs) Nobody had ever seen that before. Okay, there's miracle workers, and maybe they could plant some guy that, you know, he pretended to be blind for 20 years, and then this guy came along and, you know, and said, hey, see, and he sees. But nobody had ever seen somebody make eyeballs. (laughs) Jam them into somebody's face and, like, they could see. And this is why the Pharisees are so mad. Because what is this kind of what does this miracle do in regards to other miracles? Why is this miracle different than other miracles? Nope. only God creates. Only God can create. You know what? Do you know anybody else that can bend down, take some mud? and make workable eyeballs in somebody's face. <clears throat> That's my absolute favorite one. There are hundreds more stories. John the Apostle says in the end of his gospel, he says, if I were to recount everything that Jesus did, I don't know if the earth could hold the volumes of books. He said, these things that I recount recounted for you are from one who was with him. One who was an eyewitness. One who watched him work. So that you may know salvation and life are only in Jesus Christ. This guy is really, a really mysterious figure. And that's why you guys, for thousands of years, Jesus Christ has been the center of humanity. He, is, he has affected the entire world. Some no-name freaking rabbi who literally only ministered, only worked for three years, died a horrific death after he said a bunch of crazy things, and somehow this guy lights the world on fire. I want to pause it to you. <clears throat> Is there any way, any way for us to prove the resurrection? scientifically no we cannot prove we can we can do this but but even that i mean yeah that's scientific but kind of a long shot so my proof to you for the resurrection because you guys if the resurrection happened then everything that this guy said and did is real and if it's real it's not crazy it's true. And that makes all the difference in the world. The proof that the resurrection happened is this <clears throat> Who hated Jesus? Which religion? Judaism. Judaism. Good. These are not rocket science. <clears throat> the Jews hated him. The Jews hated him so much that they put him to death in the most wicked, horrific, humiliating way they possibly could. They diverted all types of things just to get him to die, okay? Most of the time, he pissed off every Jew he met. And if he didn't, after following him for a while, they got pissed and left. You don't believe me? Look at John 6. John 6 is where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. Anyone who doesn't eat me will not live forever. And it says all of his disciples left him because this teaching was too hard. Jesus was not a man to make friends. Because when you live the truth, you don't make a lot of friends. And people actually hate you for it. Because it calls them to change. It calls them to be somebody different. Now, who are the first converts? Jews? By the thousands. Not by the hundreds, by the thousands. It spreads so freaking fast. So what happened? What is going to cause a believing Jew that crucified Jesus of Nazareth, that hated him, that thought he was a goofy, no good, 2 time rabbi, from Nazareth, from which, as Philip said, nothing good can come from, what convinced half of Jerusalem to become Christian? What's the only logical explanation? He rose from the dead. And they saw him. Because people that hate somebody else and kill them are not going to be like, if I came up and be like, hey, remember that guy you killed and you hated? He's alive. I'm like, shut up. First of all, because that doesn't happen. Dead people stay dead. If you, wanna, if you want me to believe that, show me. Show me. And it says in the scriptures, it said at one time he appeared to more than 500 people. He appeared to the apostles. The apostles began to work miracles just like Jesus did in his name. There was power that was coming out of these men. You have 12 men that were idiots. They were complete idiots. The only one that could have had any type of education, as far as I know, was probably Matthew. And he was a mathematician at best. Because he was a tax collector. So how do 12 idiots, who can't seem to get anything right in the scriptures, who at the very end, when their friend is being killed, run away from him, and hide, because they're too dang cowardly to stand by him, how do those 12 men, 11, sorry, how do those 11, because one gave up, how do those 11 do battle with the entire world? How do 12 men turn the Roman Empire upside down? Turn it on its head. 12 fishermen. 12 idiots. Not 12 fishermen. I don't know what were they, 6 fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, which means he was like a mercenary I mean what the heck the only one that makes any sense at all is Paul Paul's the only one that has any type of education Paul is like the premier man in Jerusalem he says he was trained under Gamaliel who was the primary rabbi in Jerusalem at the time it would be like if I went and I was Paul modern day and guess who I studied under Francis that that guy who was killing Christians not just persecuting, killing who was a freak a freak in his faith as a Jew what caused him to do a 180 and move diametrically opposed to it what caused that it's that they encountered the risen Christ. <clears throat> and you can sit back and you can say, Father, that's great. Yeah, encountering the risen Christ. That sure would be nice. I would like to encounter the risen Christ. You can. You can. I've met him. I know him. You know, people ask me, they say, how do you know Jesus Christ is real? How do you know he's real? How do you know he's raised from the dead? You know? Some people are like, oh, because the Bible says it. The Bible could be real. How do you know he's raised from the dead? Well, because the church says, the church could be wrong. You can doubt all that crap. How do I know that Jesus Christ is real? How do I know that the Catholic Church is real? How do I know that this is truth itself? Because i met him. I know him. And you can too. But there's some stuff you got to do. Some things you probably got to change. Some people, for some reason... <clears throat> He just breaks into their lives. Other ones he slowly and gently brings. Some are just born into it and they always are with him. The Lord had a lot to teach us about spirituality, about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how to pray, and how to live. And that's what I want to look at after the break. We're going to go the four reasons for the incarnation. And then, from that point on, we're going to start talking about spirituality. Okay, so we'll take a 10 minute break. I'm gonna try to pull up the shroud.